It is a very blank wall behind you. It's very unnerving. <laughs> the shelf is off to the side. I think I'm just so used to YouTube streamers having like all sorts of things. Oh yeah, a very Literally a rule now that says you have to buy cube shelves from IKEA and just fill them up with Super Nintendo games. <laughs> I am planning on getting some cube shelves from IKEA, but I'm planning on getting um, ones for my stuffed toys so I don't have to dust them all the time. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 120. I am your host, Tim Henderson, back from an accidental break of about a month because that's the way the schedule works and also I am not flying all the way to Australia to attend PAX, as fun as that seems. It is like $1,500 or more to do that shit. Um, so I, am, I, do have, I know I have some people who have attended PAX here and like I know maybe they even saw all of the indies. Renee, you're back. Yes. I was on the PAX Pixel cast as well, yes, uh, where I got told to talk about all the indies, and of course my brain was like, let's just not think of any of them, now that we're being asked. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll let you talk about just um one game today, and also I think like everybody was on that Pixel cast except me, which is, you know, the opposite of how this normally goes. Um, um yeah. <laughs> there were six of us, which was surprising. They were like, yeah. we only have five mics, we're going to have to work around that. Yeah, it was like the most the most attended Pixelcast in the history, and I wasn't there. Everybody's like, Tim is gone. Everybody go in and have a party. Anyway, um, Jason, hi. Hello. I am also here. Uh, I also did not go to PAX, even though I am in Australia, because I am a notorious miser. Uh, it was last time I went to PAX, it was the very first PAX, and it was like $1,200 and Ooh. way too much money. Oh, yeah, yeah when... no, I live in Melbourne. Makes it easier for me. That does make it easier. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. that does. Mm -hmm. the... Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're like choosing between packs and potentially at this point a 65 inch TV. It's kind of like. Uh... Yeah. But I already have a 65 inch TV. <laughs> I mean, I then you could go to packs. I don't know, sell a lot of money. It is a lot of money. I like that. Also, I, I have a wife and she would want to go as well, so then you got to double. Well, not really double, but like increase it. Anyway, we're not here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Welcome to our financial planning. Um, no, <laughs> no, we've all made we've all made bad financial decisions. So this is, this should absolutely not be that show. Um, it is um October, however, and we are going to do the lazy thing and basically talk about horror games for the second half of this show. Specifically, like what works with them for us or what doesn't, and like kind of makes horror a genre within gaming, which should not ha have genres work the same way that things like movies and books do. Anyway, that is um, after the break, and who knows, maybe even Ken is going to be around for that as well. But for now, he is not. The universe feels a little bit smaller for it. Hey, Renee, do you see what I just did, did just there? Yes, very nice segue. So the game I've been playing is called My Little Universe, and it is a very interesting game because it's... I wouldn't call it a cozy game. It doesn't feel cozy. It feels more like a chill game. It's just a sort of game where you can just relax and not have to really worry about it. So the mechanics are that you are building a planet. Um, the planet is usually very, very, just a couple of different um, hexagons. Yeah, it looks very hexagonal. It is, yeah, it's hexagonal, definitely. Um, and as you, you get resources from like trees or ores, and then you put those resources into the ground and it creates another hexagon, which then gives you more things. 
Um, the main three things is that you will have an axe, you will have a pickaxe, and you will have a weapon. Um, so these three things is that you collect resources with them. But the thing is, is that if you use the wrong tool on the wrong resource, you don't mm-hmm. get as much of that resource. But it's also kind of weird because it has a mode where you don't have to collect the stuff. It does it automatically. Like, it will automatically swap oh. weapons for you, swap to the right tool for you. Is this it's equivalent of the story mode you get in RPGs these days, where it's kind of like, I'm here for one very specific thing and I want to switch everything else in my brain off? I think it is, because, but it's just, it's really just grinding. But it's still fun. But I found that I would I'd be like, oh, I'm going to play for like 15 minutes and I'd look up and it'd been an hour and a half. And I was just like, I don't know where the time went. Oh, wow, this is like the cutest alternative to civilization ever. It does look quite adorable. It looks adorable, but it's also quite horrifying. I, um, one of the enemies I had to fight was a giant Snow White who was trying to kill me. Oh, that's actually kind of awesome. Yeah, there was also, I think, the Queen of Hearts. Um, each, each world is based on a different thing. Although there was one that was a bit weird that started off with, like, dwarves and then it changed to ghosts and then there was spiders and then it went to fairies and i was just like this is very and then that's when i fought snow white right but so yes it's is, uh is it like some sort of campaign that you're working through where you're building like certain specific planets to specific challenges or is it more of a sandbox just kind of like choose a theme and then go nuts no it's you're doing a campaign so originally you start off with a really small world yeah. and as you get further and further out you it gets bigger and bigger and you get more resources more types of resources and things like that um so one of the planets i was struggling for coins i was always needing coins to try and upgrade my weapon um and upgrade my armor but the thing is is that now i find that i have plenty of coins it just seems to be like there's a resource that you need to kind of get and it just Honestly, there have been times where I have literally just put the switch down and gone and done something and come back because it will just farm on its own. And then usually the resource mm. I need is fully there. I'm not so sure how I, I know feel that sounds- about that. That sounds like the worst part of um, Nino Kuni 2. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's like if I'm uh, time-strapped more than anything. But I, I like the fact that you can play it one-handed as well because it means I can eat snacks at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd learn, that's why I have the auto uh, collect turn on. You can do it manually. It's an option. It, yeah, that makes me wonder like how good it would actually be as a commute game. Because usually if people say that sounds like a great Switch game, what they mean is like this is going to be perfect for that 30 minutes on the train on the way to work. But yep. if it's a thing where you need to put it down and walk away and come back again, that's... It's not necessary that you have to do that. It's just that sometimes I'm lazy and I'm like, I've got to do something else. I'll just put it on the couch, go do what I need to do. When I come back, I'll have plenty of resources. Honestly, this happens to me a lot for quite a few games is like, I will have like one or two games running at the same time. And, you know, if it's something that can run in the background for a little bit, then all the more, all the more power to it. Something I can just touch like every 10 minutes or so. Just to, like, give that little dopamine hit and feel like I'm achieving something. It's kind of nice in its own way sometimes. It's it's perfect for Praetorium runs. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds wonderful, actually. That's a Final Fantasy XIV thing. Yeah, you two two both sound like you have a problem. 
<laughs> yeah. There's evidence to suggest that might be accurate. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I don't know how that's, else to describe it otherwise. Just, just, yeah, yeah. That game is problematic. Now, have you been able to play this in co-op? Like, I'm, I'm just looking at it on Steam, and it makes a lot more sense um, when you say yes. Switch, because stocked, but... um. Yeah, it's available on Steam, um, Switch, and mobile, but it's free to play on mobile, which I'm not quite sure how that works. But I've tried playing it co-op on my Switch, but unfortunately I forgot to bring the cord that lets you connect it to the TV. So three people were trying to play co-op, split-screen co-op on a tiny Switch. Oh, God. Please we tell doing. me it was yeah. not even an OLED and you had the even smaller screen. It wasn't even an OLED. It's the first generation Switch. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, so so a lot of the time we'd have to, one of us would have to lean forward really far to see what we were doing. Um, the thing that I actually forgot to mention is that there is combat in the game, but the combat is very low stakes. If you die, the only thing you lose are your boosters. And the boosters are just bonus cards that you get. You can get up to 10. So some of them are like, you can become fireproof. Uh, if you have pacifist, none of the enemies will attack you while you're gathering stuff. They'll just stand there. They only attack you if you attack them first. Um, you can become immune to poison. You can make it so that your axe has a bigger um, AOE range. But yeah, it's. I had one time I actually had got to 10 and I didn't get pacifist, which is my preferred uh, booster. So I intentionally killed myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have fallen for a few really stupid traps as well. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's it's not. It's very much if you die, it's not the end of the world. It's just mm. pick back up again and keep going. And, and that's why I said it's more of a chill game. Yeah. Well, also just it looks kind of cute and adorable and like just kind of like. If you get all the stars, you get to unlock almost. costumes. If I remember right, when I was playing with my friends, I was. One of them was the hunter wearing the hunter costume. I was wearing the, oh, I don't remember which one I was wearing. My friend was wearing the Cthulhu costume. <laughs> and I do not remember which one I was wearing. So it's an incentive to 100% the worlds, which obviously mm. you don't have to. You could technically, once you've got everything you need, you could just leave and go to the next planet. Which is You don't even have to upgrade. Yeah, you don't have to upgrade all your weapons to maximum. You don't have to upgrade all your tools to maximum. You don't have to upgrade all your um, armor to maximum, but I do. Oh. I can't help myself. You, you just to. said you have a problem, and this is all part of Yeah, <laughs> honestly, that sounds exactly like me as well. All right, well, you I'm, know what? I am um, that guy that completes everything. Yeah, I am so <laughs> okay. happy that I am not. Um, but yeah, we're gonna, you know, let's, let's keep this... this we're, we're going to eventually, like, sap all the color out of everything. We're going to keep it colorful for a little bit, because I have been playing... Um, the new Hot Wheels, which is just Hot Wheels Unleashed to colon whatever turbocharged, and mm. as much much as with the original one, I have these really weird conflicted feelings um, about this game. Because on one hand, when you finally get into it and like you actually get the feel for it, like there, it is like very good fun, completely bonkers arcade racing. Um, and they added a jump this time, which I forgot to mention in the review, which is up <laughs> up on the site. So it is kind of like doing loop the loops, then jumping over shit like the middle of the air, and like driving upside down across the roof of an arcade over a freaking dinosaur, and then through a snow trap or whatever. And it can be like awesome fun, but it's also just weirdly not that accessible. And this is dry, and it just I stop and think and remember that like this, it's Hot Wheels. Mm. Like it is my shit in the sense that it is a really crazy bizarro arcade racer. 
with a bizarro track editor, which brings back memories of stunts, which I think Huso like opened with when he reviewed the original two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, it is worth mentioning, there are actually some accessibility options. Um, and I did actually even add to the light, a light, I think it's two tiers, I added the lowest tier of um, steer assist, but it's like, I don't know, like, how much patience would, like, an eight-year-old have for what he's, like, I don't know, was it? I was playing one of the, like, um, grid games, or, like, a Codemasters, kind of, like, one of their more arcade bendy one bent graces, I forgot what it's called. Very, very fun, silly story mode. Um, earlier this year, and that was way more accessible to get into in terms of just being able to, like, take corners, because, like, this game... It's like really like even like the checkpoints are really picky. Like like if there are either bumpers up in the wall or not, and a lot of time if they're not, then you're until you really know what you're doing, you'll be power sliding. You're just gonna go flying way off the side of the track, which should be harmless. Like it, and yep. but then if you don't go through that little checkpoint gate, it's going to like say miss checkpoint and then go three, two, one and drag you back, which in a high octane race is a lot of ground lost, mm. and is infuriating for me as a grown ass man. I'm just like. A kid's gonna be cool with this. I feel like yeah, kids are a lot more um, tolerant than we uh, give them credit for. Sometimes, sometimes depends, it on, depends the on their patience. Like I've seen a lot of kids that just bounce off stuff as well. Also, but, like yeah, not winning is some. I've worked around a lot of children. Not like not winning occasionally is something that they don't do very well with. And this yeah. is like saying oh, yeah, you could have won, but I'm going to literally take you back to the end of the course for something that is just. An accessibility issue, almost. Yep. So yeah, it sounds it, like it, it could have been fun if they just hadn't. Well, it, it is fun. You just it takes it. a lot of getting into and like, and like, yeah, the driving model just seems more adult than it like should be. Like, there are other arcade races that are what, like, if it just played like Ridge Racer, I think it would probably be better off for it. Yeah. Maybe it's trying to be like somewhere between Trackmania and Forza, like. Um, but those are two massive behemoths to go up against if they wanted to go down that route. Yeah. Like, that's... Like, that's, that's When I actually think about Hot Wheels, I actually do think about Forza in a lot of ways, because it had that Forza had that DLC, DLC, uh, the DLC like, which was really, really good. By all accounts, it was but, excellent, yeah. Yeah, but completely the wrong market as well, because there's not, like, the pull of Hot Wheels is, like, that very much, like, you know... They're toys. Toy-esque. It's, it's yeah. straight up... Toys and it's weird because they've like made a much better game again. Actually, like the first one, this, like, a lot of the things you can say are interchangeable here. It's like, what have they done? They've added a jump mechanic and maybe a, there are more cars now, and there are um, different themes. And the themes, the levels, do they build them around it? And it's like an old like dinosaur museum and an arcade and a diner, and they actually look pretty well. And some of the official tracks, especially once you get into it, do a pretty good job of, like, incorporating, like, going off... Because most of the tracks are normally made up of those kind of, like, plastics, like, the blue or red plastic strips that mm. you may remember yeah. from, like, the, I never had them, but, like, I remember them, remember them from toy commercials. And they do a pretty good job of, like, mixing that up with... And having them kind of interact with some of the stuff, like, you'll end up just going to cross a table as a very simple example. Then, like, you're back up there and, like, looping around in the sky. And the core racing once you get used to it, it's actually really good. I'm just very, very, very conflicted about how difficult it can be to get into in the first place. Um, on the other hand, excellent, excellent track editor. I'm- I think that's kind of where a lot of those games succeed. Like, that's where Trackmania wins out yeah. in a lot of ways because the track editor is yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
I need to go back into it now that it's actually been out in retail for a few days. Um, because even play, I'm playing this on PS5, even with the control pad. Mm. The con- the track editor has this level of accessibility that the racing itself doesn't like. It's actually <laughs> like you can make a simple course very easy. Like it's very intuitive. Like they've done an excellent job with like making this thing like quite controllable. And obviously, if you want to get more intricate, you're going to need to do more things. But you could start off with like a very simple like up and down whatever and finish it like quite sounds like it was almost like they made the track builder and then they just added the racing on afterwards i mean i wouldn't Mm. i i believe that they probably made all of the official tracks with that editor like it's it seems incredibly simple and powerful but again a lot of the pieces seem to be locked the game just kind of rains down confetti of like different like reward points and pieces of this and like coins for this and like level up for this like after every single race including pieces of the track editor so to get the most out of said track editor, you still have to complete the campaign, which is just... Ugh, wild. <clears throat> Honestly wacky. Um, how's the track sharing? Because it's all good to have a track editor, but if it can't share it in a meaningful, easy way, then that it makes it a bit more It seems meaningful and easy. I haven't actually gone back and played it since the um, review sure. went up, and the review went up... I Because I was like, okay, I've made a couple of things here that they're not great. I want to see if anybody... There was nothing there yet, obviously... Yep. So I want to go back, now that I've thought about it out loud. Because I expect, mm. I fully expect there to be some like completely fucking wild tracks out there. And it... Oh yeah, some people are not. Yeah. Um, I, I fully expect that to be an excellent part of that game, and maybe that is probably worth buying it for in and of itself. Like just playing other people's tracks could actually like make... make oh yeah, fun. I mean it, it adds tons of longevity to the games. But I feel like it would, yeah, benefit from just giving you all of the pieces straight up. Like, or even don't. making an alternate way to get them. Don't, don't suggest that it's already, like... So if you want to get new cars, and the original was the same. <laughs> but actually, it's not as bad as the original. I think the original had, like, a several-hour-long timer. So the cars kind of come... They very visually come in blister packs. Um, but you can't oh, just kind of like see all of the cars that you can get there and then, okay, I'll get this many coins, I'll buy this one, or I can see if I can get that one. They refresh. There's always like, I think, I want to say six available. And I think from memory in this, it's every 40 minutes they refresh. Oh, God. And so there's like, I've got to have it now. And you can pay some more coins to refresh it immediately, but like, it just doesn't, it feels still a little bit sinister. And I think it was like several hours per refresh in the first, so it's not as bad as that. But that just feels like a little bit in gross. Game coins. That's in game that... coins, but I would not be surprised if they introduced a way to like buy some real game coins. Like it just seems like it's right there for the doing. Yep. Yeah, it's it's like they're they're just slowly because if it's not it in yeah, there, if it's not like that, then why are they even doing it? Like I can't. Well, I was thinking more like if you if you play the game, then you should be rewarded no matter what, and maybe make it so that the track pieces are kind of like in a shop and you can buy the track pieces with whatever coins you get and you just get coins as rewards for completing. Oh, that is a good way to do it. Encourage play regardless of win or loss. You do get coins. It's just that all of the cars should be, you know, they should not disappear from availability after 40 minutes when something else comes in. Also, if it was just coins, you're like, I lost track. Like It's just just a confetti of different types of currencies, rewards and everything. It's... It would be oh, so wonderful annoying. if it was just like one thing. So like it's super just make weak. It like, current. I don't know. There's why this core, like, yeah. There's this kind of really core good racing game in there, 
with all this weird shit, like, tacked on around the edges. And if they kind of smoothed that out and, like, made it a bit more accessible, this would just be, like, a, a no-brainer. Like, especially, like, if you, like, want something that's fun for you that you could play with your kids, it would be, like, chef's kiss, just about perfect. In this case, it's kind of like, uh, like, maybe, is there a demo? Like, check it out, like, see if they get a feel for it. But also, like, I think, the, like, it doesn't feel that different to the original. The jump seems... I think maybe a couple of aerial things, but the original's like on pretty deep discount on the PS5 store right now, and I'm guessing elsewhere as well. I would maybe suggest just buy that instead if it looks like your thing as well. I mean, I saw ads for it, and it looked good, but it I looks, think that that's the thing. It does it look good. It looks good. And it, again, once you get used to it, like, after like five hours of like bumping into shit and going, why did I miss that checkpoint? It starts to play really well as well, but... Sort of steep learning curve. Steeper than it should... game shouldn't really have. <laughs> well, I mean, if it was fucking Forza, I would get it. But yeah, it, it's, it's... Well, I mean, if it's aimed at kids, it should be more like Mario Kart, where it's uh, yeah. a lot easier. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, not have, like, kind of beginner trap type shit, which it has as well, where it's just like, oh, there was no way you could have known how to avoid that until the second time you raced it. Yes. Anyway, so I'm, I'm very up and down on this one. I think it's fundamentally good. It's just got all this stuff around the corners, which makes which made writing a review a bit from the perspective of is this a thing you're going to want to play and not actually very very difficult to do. Um, we're going to get a bit um bit bit, bit more sinister now. Um, Jason. Yeah. Just steep those yes. fingers. <laughs> Games uh, literally yeah, called been... Slay the Princess. It is literally called Slay the Princess. Uh, spoilies, uh, it is about slaying a princess. Um, oh, it's like it is a, yeah, um, it is a meta-narrative game, so very, very simple. There's only, um, three voices in the game. Um, well, technically two voices, I guess. There's, uh, you play as a person, you don't know anything about them, they're in the woods, um, and you get told to go into a cabin, pick up a knife, and, and kill the princess who is downstairs in the basement, um, chained up. And if you as don't, you do. the... Yeah, as one does. And uh, if yep. you don't, the world is going to end. Um, and yeah, it's very much about that. Um, it's awesome, honestly. Uh, my review's on the site, so please do go read it. There's no spoilers in it or anything like that. Um, this is by the... Uh, by a, a, a indie game company... Um, they have the reason this came up on my list at all is it has um, quite a few voice actors from a lot of horror podcasts I listen to. Um, uh, Johnny Sims, which is the writer and uh, one of the main voices in the Magnus Archives, which is very popular, long running uh, horror podcast. Um, and it's got Nicole Goodnight, who's also from a very long running podcast. Um, the No Sleep podcast, and also it's got one of the composers for one of my other favorite podcasts, which is The White Fault. Um, so, yeah, it, that's why it kind of came up on my list. Right, um, this is the podcastiest and, podcast you've ever listened to in the world right now. Is basically absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the meta-narrative continues outside the game into this discussion. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, it confused me. I It... Uh, it surprised me. It's like absurd, but also some extremely grotesque scenes in it. Um, it took me about 
probably about three hours to get one ending. I think there's meant to be 11 endings, so I'm looking forward to jumping back into it. Um, three hours is a good selling point, actually. I 100% I can, agree. I can spare I, I, three hours during a week. I can manage that. Yeah, I honestly think that short games are really awesome. In fact, I... This is, I am maybe a very weird gamer in this way, but I don't really play anything that's like 20 to like 50 hours. The games I play tend to be either like one to five hours or alternatively a hundred to five thousand, um, with no in between. Um, so yeah, uh, Slay the Princess, it is coming out. It was meant to come out, uh, the other day, uh, I think Friday or something similar. They got it delayed. Uh, due to some issues um, with getting it through Steam um, publishing, but I think it's coming out today. So yeah, keep an eye out for it. It's um, very, 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 very cool. And by today, you mean today, today, or today when the show goes live today? That is an excellent uh, question. Uh, they're in America. They're in uh, the UK, I think. So who knows how time zones work? I am as well, we confused this as about anyone. two days early on average. So hopefully it's out by the time anybody's listening to this. That'd be nice. Yeah. It's supposed um, to be coming out in like an hour or two. Oh, even so better. Yeah, so not long after the podcast has been recorded. Yeah, Definitely before um, I've edited anything, all right. Yeah. I have to say, yeah, it looks pretty cool. This is like very, very, very awesome. pencil art. It is, it is all uh, hand-drawn art in the game, and it is honestly wild. Um, very fun. Very fun game. I looked at it, and I'm like, this is not a game that I'd be able to play. I have so much difficulty killing people as it is and i think that's exactly what this game is playing on it is for sure um in fact i had a uh if i was to peel back the curtain a little bit i actually um read out some of my review to my psych today because i wanted to talk about i i'm i even spoke in the review about cognitive behavioral therapy um very much mm-hmm. about why we make decisions and what kind of things have happened in our past that led to those decisions um and yeah, I read out part of my review and I wanted to kind of uh, talk about the empathy or, um, about those decisions with it. So it'll stay with you for a while, I think, in a positive way. Um, but of course, killing the princesses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's uh, you don't have to kill the princess, um, but it is very much playing on that trolley problem as well uh, kind of thing about people's morality and you know, if you get more information about something, how does that affect your opinion about them and whatever? So fun, very fun. Fun is the word I would necessarily go for, but it definitely looks engrossing. I mean, I laughed out loud uh, multiple times at the writing, which is baffling in a horror game. Horror is a really good, uh, laughing at stuff is a really good way to cope with horrifying things. That's That's why black humor exists. That is true. Gallows humor is definitely a thing, um, and I guess we're going to like discuss how much that may actually affect what we do or do not want in a horror game in a little bit. We're going to take a short break, and yeah, when we come back, I don't know. Maybe Ken will be here. I haven't actually checked the chat. Maybe we should. Maybe we should check in on Ken.
we are back. In fact, we are more than back. Ken, you've come. You've joined us. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Ken, famously the internet's number one horror fan. Uh, well... <laughs> min- I, mini fan. A mini fan. This is going to be interesting. I've never associated you with horror, ever. Um... Yeah, it is. It is. It is a season. And when I say that, I kind of, you know, at some point in my adult life, I realized the reason why Halloween is when it is is like with every kind of thing that goes back to any kind of festival or whatever, it is actually seasonal. And Australia is completely backwards. Yep. Um, because it works. Like when it's fall or, or autumn, let's use proper English here, and then you know the leaves are starting to fall off, and it's getting darker earlier and getting colder, and everything is a little bit more creepy outside. Very different to springtime. Yeah. Where everything's when coming back like to life again. And it's, well, not only that, but it's like, it's super hot. It's really light outside because daylight savings yes, is just daylight. starting. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, that's... I like had to 9 o'clock, you're like, it's still bright. Yeah, I, to, I felt <laughs> like I had to, to jump the on edge this off. call. I had to jump on this call super early. It was like, ah, uh, I've, I've got to adjust to that. I, at least I remembered um, that that because Japan does not have daylight savings. It's the same all year round. And yeah, twice a year so I get jealous. completely thrown off because like I miss times with Australian lineups. Um, it, yeah, anyway, it's okay. But, Queensland doesn't have them either. There are many things wrong with Queensland. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, yes, we are we are we are still like doing the like the typical because I think we've actually done it for the last couple of years. We're doing the horror themed horror themed discussion topic this time. It's basically just talking about like horror games and like what does or doesn't work for us about horror as a gaming genre and it is kind of weird as a gaming genre because games tend to class genres by mechanics as opposed to themes which is how they tend to work with more i guess you would say story heavy mediums i would argue that what makes a good movie is also not as necessarily a good story i'm getting um a weirdly sidetracked um jason i want to throw this first to you though because you you were already on the horror train a little bit in the first half sure sure like, is there anything specifically that does or does not work for you if you are going to play something that is horror or horror adjacent? Um, yeah, I uh, I play a lot of horror games. A lot of horror games. In fact, um, between everything I write, read, play, listen to, like, I would say almost 50% of what I digest is horror. That um, seems like a high percentage. Is, it, it's a very high percentage. My wife is also a massive horror nut. So generally, whenever we sit down to watch a movie, it's always a horror movie. Um, most of my podcast listening is horror movie, uh, horror podcasts, you know, short little narratives. Um, I find a lot with games, like games are a really, really tough one um, because horror by itself is inherently unfun because it's taking away all of the power. Like if you have a gun or you know, a huge amount of stamina or anything like that, a lot of the horror is taken away because you don't get that sense of helplessness. But also inherently running from something all the time and hiding all the time, you know, if you're being chased by a killer in a game, that's not a fun thing to engage with. It's such a tough balance. This is why Amnesia made such a splash like 10, 15 years ago because it was the game that did that. Yeah, and then not long, well, not super duper long after that, um, Alien Isolation came out, and, you know, it it also nailed that, but not a lot of games do. Um, 
The other thing that doesn't work for me um, is a lot of jump scares, because, like, is why I never really got into, like, the Five Nights at Freddy's games. Like, I'm like, I get it, and the lore's kind of cool and everything like that, but, like, um, the, just relying on jump scares a lot of the time, it doesn't do anything for me, because you kind of get accustomed to it. Like, this is one of the myriad problems with horror, is if you just get the same type of scare all the time... Well, getting accustomed to anything... So we're, kind of, we're diving into what actually made me decide to do this topic, which was adjacent to a big October, but not by choice, which was the Callisto Protocol became part of the PlayStation Plus lineup. Yep. And I was like, you know what? I bet Dead Space Remake is a little bit better, but Dead Space Remake is currently not something that I've already paid for on a server, so I'm going to try this other one. Okay, one Callisto Protocol looks fucking fantastic, like full props to um Vision Department. Um, two, it's, I actually think it's probably better than it's been given credit for. But I did have significant moments of frustration during the first quarter of this game, and I feel like it's something can be broken down into, like, four different chunks where, like, the theme changes. And the first part is you're kind of escaping this prison on Callisto Jupiter Moon, although that's just, like, set dressing, really. But the big point, like, that first, and it introduces what is actually a pretty good, like, up-close, personal, very visceral combat system but what it's very bad at is there are several moments where this up close and personal combat is actually handled really well and that but then occasional just like oh and then there's this weird you know alien thing in me that kind of shoots poison at you and you cannot dodge it when you are in this combat and it's just a cheap death and it like made me realize like yeah. one of the key things to horror games is they ideally they don't want to kill you they want to keep you just barely alive so you feel like you could die at any given moment because after you die a couple of times it stops being scary or stops being nerve-wracking or whatever and it just becomes frustrating and like the entire atmosphere flips yeah suddenly the tension is gone tension's broken because you can't be uh tense if you're pissed off and it made me and I had that exact same issue with the we- the Evil Within when they had the um the the big guy who was like close to indestructible. I would just get so pissed off whenever I would see him and just be like, "I got to murder him because he is annoying." And it he- wasn't even I wasn't scared. I was just like, "He's got to do- he's got to die. He's got to go, so I can actually go back to enjoying the game." It gave me a renewed um appreciation. I played the Resident Evil Four remake earlier this year and 8 before that, like, how well Capcom balanced the resource management in that, and kind of, like, keeping you, so you always had just enough. Yeah. Yeah, the Resident Evil games are actually really interesting in this way, because, um, as I was saying before, like, a lot of the times when you have power over your enemy, then it takes away a lot of the, the fear from it, but... Resident Evil actually manages that line incredibly finely by limiting those resources. Like, you have a gun, you have melee, you have, you know, the ability to, like, run and kick enemies down, etc. But uh, because of the way they do it, um, like, it's always a a constant horde of enemies, or relatively constant anyway. Um, They're not so much threatening as they are annoying, but in a good way. And so it encourages you to keep moving. Um, they actually like dance that edge really, really finely. And it doesn't work in all of their games, but I think in, you know, Resident Evil 1, 2, and, you know, uh, probably 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 8, um, they, they do it really, really well. And it's, 
not easy at all. No, it was a very like especially like that first quarter of Callisto Protocol like really kind of made me think back to that and go, yeah, they they definitely do that resource management and that is a big part of it. Um, super well, but then Callisto Protocol stopped doing that, which was very good of it. It became way better and made me realize that I don't. It's not being scared. Like I don't come to anything to be scared. I'm not really a horror junkie at all. Um, but I think there's something specifically about horror games that does appeal to me is like the pacing is inherently different to any other game with and kind again, of a conflict. It kind of comes back it. to the tension, which is it's much You've slower have that tension. and like that sense of yeah. So the tension I want, that atmosphere I want. I don't need to be scared, but I like that, like, by design, they seem to be much more about, like, going care... Like, actually, it rewards being careful and, like, having a sense of methodology about what you're doing um, in a way that a lot of other games... I remember getting incredibly frustrated at Call of Duty 4 back when that was the biggest thing ever because I didn't real. It took me a while to realize that they were just monster closets. I was trying to, like, go through carefully and, like, clear out each area. <laughs> it just kept on sporing in more... And, like, absolutely does not want to be played like that. A lot of a lot of good horror games, yeah, absolutely do want to be played like that, and you have to like resource manage really well, which is kind of why weirdly like limited resources work in this genre in a way that's just infuriating in, in Bethesda games. Yep. Of course, each resource matters, which I think is the key to if you want people to have to be able to carry a certain amount of stuff. Mm. Everything yeah. is meaningful. Uh, yeah, you, nothing is useless, pretty much. Um, I mean, it's a a good a game that does really good tension, and everyone would know this one is Silent Hill Two, and that's why it became so big was because of the tension, because there is that constant, and it's also you know it's messing with your mind at the same time, Mm. which is why it is considered a psychological horror as well as a survival horror. Yeah, yeah. um, You've got Silent Hill Two is actually a really interesting example. because you were mentioning before that you you hate enemies that can't be killed, but the when I think about Silent Hill, um, I I think about two games in particular, and that's um, Silent Hill Two with Pyramid Head, who can't be killed. He's just a constant threat, but he has that sound cue that's like you constantly hear that yeah. goddamn sword like dragging against the ground. Um, and the other one that's is the thing. you're not forced to fight him. You can avoid no, him, no, whereas not. in The Evil Within, you were forced to fight this guy, this big guy, three times, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, that was kind game? of the issue with Nemesis. Um, uh, the other one is Silent Hill for The Room, um, which has oh, yes. a giant, well, not a giant, but it has a flying, flaming ghost that is following you around for, like, an hour or two. You don't want to get captured by it. You don't want to get caught by it, but you hear it coming. Again, those sound cues to give you that sense of dread. Um, is, that the, is that one of the ones that you can use to um, the sword to keep them in place? But if you pull the sword out, they will then... Or is that like the lesser To means? be honest, it's been many years since I have played Silent Hill 4. Um, I don't think there's any I remember an, uh, that because they made a there. horrible, horrible noise. Oh, God, yeah. I love that. I always love that noise about when you're, like, annoying an enemy. Like, when you drop it down. Ah, oh, best. I'm actually a little disturbed by how excited Jason is right now. I'm a, Like I said, <laughs> I, I, I watch a... Uh, I digest a lot of horror. 
I just wanted to <clears throat> pick up a couple of points that that's already been sort of discussed already. One is, I guess, the feeling of um, power, powerlessness versus feeling overpowered, and and I think that's a significant component in in horror games generally. And I think that's kind of why. Um, I think Cthulhu mythos games don't work generally mm. because so they're horror themed, but they're not really horror games. Yeah, because well, yeah, kind of yes, I guess. But you know, if you were looking at kind of where the cosmic horror um, genre comes from, it's it's supposed to. The horror comes from feeling extremely insignificant in the wide universe. Like, that's the fundamental tenet of cosmic horror. Um, you're supposed to be feeling so insignificant that you don't matter in, at all. Your, your, your presence does not matter. And that's where the horror comes from. But in games, you are the protagonist. You are the character. You are the one with the agency, regardless of whether you've got a weapon or not. You're the one pushing the story forward. And so, like, something like that doesn't work. So I, I think the idea of powers, powerlessness is, is very interesting. Like, it, in games that you, we've already mentioned, Alien Isolation, um, that sort of thing. Um, I also want to sort of touch on, you know, we talked about tension, but, but it, it, in my mind, there are there are also like sort of multiple types of tension. There's sort of high tension where your heartbeat is up, your 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 arms are clammy. But there's also the sort of low tension where um my eyes might be dilated or I'm just on edge because things are creeping me out. I think generally I'm not a fan of jump scare horror games either. Uh, I'm not no, particular. No. Yeah, but I find that cheap. What, yeah. what works for me is when it's about the creepiness factor. When things are off-putting, when things are just slightly off kilter, it doesn't need to be completely weird. It doesn't need to be completely bizarre. It's just a little bizarre. Um, that sets me. That is far more effective on me than than anything Something else. Something feels um, slightly wrong. Yeah, where things is yeah. kind of like that's that's an odd thing for that to be in. I find um, there are certain sections of Alan Wake that really, really, really creep me out. Um, the moments before enemies attack is in where the dark clouds sort of swirl in. That always sets me off. That specific moment before the enemies attack. So when the enemies attack, I'm like, all right, bang, bang, shoot, shoot, torchlight, run to the next light lit lit area. That doesn't really do anything um, for me. Yeah, it, I, Alan Wake. I wanted to really like it. I, I did. I did like it when I wasn't in combat. I just found that the enemies were bullet sponges. Yeah, and again. It, got to the point of being frustrating and then you can't be scared if you're angry yeah you're correct but i think what worked for me in alan wake specifically was in the seconds before enemies attack when the music sort of like kicks in a little bit when you hear it this sort the of musical cues very well yeah, 
and it uses and it introduces a sort of a low frequency sort of thrum, like a little, and then it sort of starts to swell, and the clouds roll in, and the dark fog starts rolling. That specific moment always sets me off. Uh, Fatal Frame is one. Yes. I am Fatal Frame games. Hell yeah, let's do this. Um, just yeah. one also, Project Zero. Yeah, not Fatal Frame. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember distinctly like one little bit of Fatal Frame. I think it was this was probably in the first game, and it's like I'm walking down a hallway of I think you know a, a, a you know a supposedly tr- sorry. Is it the rope hallway by any chance? No, not the rope hallway. This was the hallway of a supposedly traditional Japanese house where it's like paper screen doors. Yeah. And I'm walking down the hallway, and up in one corner, there was nothing. I turned away. There was nothing. Turned back. There was a figure standing just in, off to a corner. And I'm like, ooh, what's that? And I, back, and I back off. And when I came back again, that figure was gone. Yeah. And uh, that, that type of like, wait, am I? Did I imagine that? Mm. Did that happen? And um, also, oh, when you, when, if it actually makes you double guess yourself, yeah, oh, and and then also like sort of my I, I guess my cultural background, the imagery of mm. a lone figure standing at the end of somewhere far away, just motionless in some type of long white gown and long black hair that covers the face. That specific imagery can, is just can I just burned. say something? Yeah. The amount of times I frightened myself in the rope hallway because of the mirror at the end, because I thought it was a ghost and it was me. It was my character. Mm. So many times. Got me nearly every bloody time. And I was like, when I finished the game, I'm like, okay, I've got it this time. I'm I'm good with this now. I can do it. And I started playing on the next difficulty. And as I walked down the hallway, one of the ropes smacked my character in the shoulder, which was programmed (laughs) into the game to fright as a jump, a tiny jump scare. Yeah. Yeah. Fatal Frame is actually really interesting in the way as well, because I mentioned before about helplessness. Like, you have yes. technically a weapon in Fatal Frame. You have the camera obscura, mm. which is a little broken uh, broken camera. But if you want to hurt that enemy, you're sure as hell going to need to let them get as close as possible and take a good also, snapshot of them. Yeah, I just want to say that um, the way, the reason why the the people in the, the games are generally female characters in skirts is because it adds to that helplessness. Yep. And, um, and it's something as small as that, like they always wear like really frilly costumes and stuff and people look at them and go, yeah, that's not a, the sort of person that should be going into a haunted house. And that's exactly why they are the sort of person going into a haunted house in this game. Yeah. So, so this never... is one of the things I truly love about horror is because um, horror is for me, two different things. It's, I think about, um, like, when I play, like, a survival game or a base-building game or anything, there's no real rhyme or reason behind it. Like, you know, it's just, hey, here's a world. Horror is always trying to play on a fear specifically. And one of my favorite, favorite things to do is think about what cultural phenom has happened that made this horror game rise up. Like, um... One uh, over the last couple of years, you've seen a huge rise in um, horror movies about um, influences. You've seen a huge rise in pe- uh, things about COVID. 
um, or various viruses, things like that, um, where it's playing off those fears of, hey, we went through this, you know, we did this, or this is something that's happening at the moment. Here's why it's scary. And that's why I actually really love horror the most is because, yeah, it's playing on something that is meaningful to you. And that's why cosmic horror doesn't necessarily work for me. I don't have that huge fear of the unknown. Um, although I do think that Lovecraft is interesting um, in that way of like, it's an insurmountable problem that you will never be able to fix because you are just one person. You can't do anything. There are things out yeah. there in the world bigger and more you dangerous can't do anything. than you. Yeah. I feel like that if you can't do anything that you're just kind of like, well, why bother? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it doesn't really work. Whereas generally in horror games, you have a chance to kind of fight back. And that's where the tension lies. You've started to remind me um, of where I actually started to really like Lister Protocol, which is when you kind of end up in this very fleshy area. Fucking amazing lighting in this section of the way. Like, you imagine, like, a lighting engine, like, gets the, like, white light, kind of goes through your ears and, like, makes them glow. Like, they do that sort of thing really well in these... Oh, yeah, the... Basically... The, oh, awesome. That's slightly transparent. Yeah, they're basically ripping off clickers from um, The Last of Us in this. <laughs> um, but also, the same thing, I think, it made the clicker stuff work really well, um, is it's not necessarily inherently scary, but what it does is it make, it rewards you for keeping your nerve. So it's not scary so long as you keep your shit together. And there was something about that that I really enjoyed. It's like, I can actually clear a room of these. I just need to not lose it. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that's again, where... It's the tension. Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit at odds with everybody else because um, Lovecraftian Cthulhu horror absolutely works for me. Mm. Um, the, the Because the horror and the fear... The fear comes from the futility of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, That's and I would and I would like to think that I'm not futile. <laughs> I'm yeah. not in a futile position. But the world that's presented so um so oftentimes when playing games which do have that we're playing horror games which do sort of ride that balance, I find myself more often than not trying to find ways to game the system rather yeah. than just truly sort of letting it um, immerse myself into it. So it's things like Dead Space and Callisto, Callisto Protocol, I'll be like, okay, yeah. let's game this. Let's find a let's find a corridor that you'll get stuck on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I cannot do that in games. I can't I cannot cheat anything. But I think this is also why horror is super duper fascinating is because it's relying like it's in the name. It's horror. Like, it's mm. it's relying on a specific emotion. And because humans are extremely varied, there are games that aren't going to work for some people and will work for others because they just aren't afraid of it. Like, I know people that are horribly afraid um, uh, of, like, the open ocean. So they'll never be able to play games like Raft, even though it's not a horror game. Um, but I've played many horror games like... Um, or even horror-adjacent games like um, Barrow Trauma, where you're in a submarine and you are going, you know, uh, you are going to the bottom of this icy ocean yep. and there is horrifying things out there. It doesn't make me afraid. I just really enjoy the game, but I know people that will not well, touch it because the, of that reason. The thought of yeah, drowning like actually is maybe scarier there. than any of the monsters is like this weird position you're in there as well. 
Yeah. yeah. When you hear the when you hear a monster come past and like it hits your ship and then you suddenly hear this rush of water, you're like, ah, oh, this is I, not. I going just have to. Yeah. Okay. I just want to recount a specific moment. Like, um, I remember playing Subnautica mm. a long time ago, and it's generally you know it's a light, bright game, and you sort of <laughs> make your you make your submarines and your bases, and it's kind of like Minecraft in, in under the water, and you sort of explore and you mine and you do all that jazz. So it's you know it's a fairly it's a fairly like innocuous game. I remember I, I, I couldn't play it because of two things: underwater caves. YouTube has given me a great fear of underwater caves. Totally understandable. That, that was that was what I was also building to. But what's this? What's your second thing before I sort of? No, 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 just underwater and caves. Like, oh, caves yeah. by themselves oh, are yeah. scary enough. Oh, but then add water, I wanna, underwater I wanna caves, like, oh my god. throw yeah. in something that so, is not at all a horror game, but I remembered. Because if you want, like, a super cheerful, happy game that for five seconds can cause mass anxiety in a child, fucking first Sonic the Hedgehog when you start to drown. Oh god, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then like, holy shit! Up. <laughs> if I remember when editing, I may actually play, play that like that little drowning music in the background because my god. Yeah. So like, anyway, I just just wanted to finish this this anecdote off. Like, uh, there was a moment of complete and utter panic, like real panic, um, when I was in an underwater cave and I couldn't discern which way was up, like, relative to my character in-game. Oh, yeah. And one of my favorite things about Deep Water. <laughs> and I just, like, wait. I, I, I'm, I'm I holding my breath just hearing about it. <laughs> and I had I had a moment of actual sort of, like, in real-life panic. I'm like, oh, my... It felt so real. It felt so visceral that I was, yeah, in a state of panic. And I'm like, just... I. I found the way up eventually, like, after a while. But that moment is like, okay, Subnautica, you've got something going on. You've got you've got something. Here's some DLC where you can play as Guybrush Threepwood and hold your breath for ten minutes. <laughs> I'm at least one person else has played Monkey Island. Yeah, I mean, that was a that was one of the big achievements in the uh, in the remake when they when they did it like ten years ago. Was well, to uh, stay underwater for ten minutes. Good times. Sorry, I'm I'm still trying to deal with the whole underwater cave thing. Well, we have literally traumatized Renee. Excellent work, oh, us. I recommend barrow trauma. <laughs> no, no. Like I said, I've watched too many videos of scuba divers going into underwater caves and then getting stuck, and then they send another person in to go and get the body of the first scuba diver, and then they get stuck or they get they end up dying as well, and it's just oh. Yeah, yeah. In the same way for Ken, I could recommend uh, if you want a uh, series of games that aren't like super duper interactive, but you're watching a house through a camera, um, and uh, every now and again, when you're flicking through the rooms, just something in the room will change, and it's so off-putting to like, you know, come back to the room and you're like, wait that door is just now open or there is someone looking at me from outside that window or that chair moved or something similar. It is deeply off-putting. Um, it's, it's funny because yeah. um, Project Zero Three or Fatal Frame mm. 3, if you happen to be American, um, 
had something kind of like that. But what would happen is that as the game would progress, stains in the person's house would slowly turn into faces and stuff like yep. that. And oh, it, I love it's, that frame. yeah. And the thing is, is that this doesn't add anything to the gameplay at all, but it mm. does increase that tension. But tension is really hard. It is a fine line. Um, so I have anxiety. I have stuff. I stuff with panic attacks and stuff. Um, I couldn't play Amnesia because the mm. tension was too high for me and yep. I actually started to hyperventilate, which is weird because I generally love horror, but I just couldn't with Amnesia. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be that, like, uh, that limit. Um, for me, I, I don't like high-tension games. I like, I like gnawing dread, personally. I want something that yeah. I like it really seeps into my bones over a certain amount of time, and then I'm just completely off-put. I mean, um, it's the best. A part, a part of why I said this is, like, horror and horror adjacent is because, like, I mean, things don't have to be a genre. So, like, look, look, I know, look at a mm. David Lynch movie, and, like, he has... There's a lot of horror elements, but he's using it as a toolkit. It's, like, a part of, like, a lot of stuff he's, like, stapling together. Um, yep. So I'm thinking of, like, I recently remembering, I mean, slowly playing through in the background on Switch, and, my like, God, it's amazing looking. Like, the Metro Prime remake... Metroid Prime mm. is not a horror game, but it's you. It's borrowing a lot of the atmospheric elements to like make itself. There's still like same as even when she loses all the shit, she's still quite powered up. But that sense of loneliness and atmosphere is still there, and the pacing is still there. Yeah, it's it's the atmosphere. It, they nailed it in that game. Has Actually, anyone played? Um, that was. Sorry. There you go, Renee. I was just going to say there was a game, a PAX called Memories Reach, which also managed to nail the atmosphere despite the fact that it's a puzzle game, very similar to Metroid Prime. Um, and that that was something that I actually really enjoyed when I was when I was playing the demo was the fact that they they nailed the atmosphere. You feel very alone, even though the world around you kind of like the items around you, they move but they're not really alive. Yeah, it sounds like they're just kind of borrowing some of the elements. Like, they've learned Mm -hmm. some of the atmospheric tricks from it. It doesn't have to slot neatly into that. It's still a Metroidvania adventure game, but it's kind of borrowed some of the toolkit to, like, create its atmosphere. Even though, like, you have so Um, much ammo, you shoot all the doors to open them. (laughs) (laughs) That is a a bit of a pickle. Has anyone played Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines? Yes. No. Okay. I have heard about it. There is... That is not a horror game, by any standard. But one of the most memorable parts in that is it just takes a hard pivot, like, halfway through for, like, 15, 20 minutes into a ghost house. Mm. And it is... It's such a good scene. I I love when games, like, just dip their toes in a little bit of horror for a little bit. It's very, very fun. Jason, may I I recommend you play Nier if you have never... I have played Nier, and I do love that Nier for this exact reason. Masterpiece. Well. I just yeah. want to throw that out there, because I, I every think... other podcast I point out that Nier is a masterpiece. Anyway, sorry, Ken. No, well, I think, you know, that, that particular sequence in Vampire the Masquerade is is effective because it's it's horror, it's a ghost story, but when you then digest the story, it's actually really poignant and sad. And Absolutely. That's where I think, like, horror works best when it's paired up mm-hmm. with some type of, I don't know, 
sadness or loneliness of or unrequited emotion. Like yep. that's where it really, um, really, I think really that's works. Why Silent Hill Two was so popular because the, every character in there is suffering from some kind of thing. Yeah. Some kind of regret this is, or... This is why everybody's so nervous about the remake because they're not so sure that Bloober Team has the chops to, like, get to the greater depth. I mean, Bloober I Team honestly... have proved their worth, man. And they, they've yeah. done good work. I, I don't, have, honestly, but... I don't think it needs a remake. I don't think so either. I personally. tried to play it a few years ago and found it pretty obscure to get into, so... For a new I mean, audience, it's a very maybe... old game, but... I mean, but one of the things that made Silent Hill 2 so creepy is... Like, you never knew what was up ahead. It was always that huge fog everywhere. And so you always had that sense of dread within you because you didn't know where enemies were coming. You would just hope that you were running in a direction and that you weren't going to run into something. But all of that was born out of technical limitations on the PS2. A part of me is sitting there thinking, like, if you'd just come from Nintendo 64, you'd be like, well, this is just how games are. This isn't scary at all. Yeah. Yeah. I... If they, like, I think there was a remake they've already done of it where they took away the fog. Didn't have anywhere near the same amount of impact. So I'm very, was very that, interested. Was that the remastered one? And I think the other yeah. problem is, is that everyone, everyone who's had a go at um, Silent Hill has pretty much tried to recreate the second one, which is yeah. not how it should be. Um, and that's the thing, like, Silent Hill was not initially designed as a town to punish people. The... I mean, originally, in the original trilogy, 2 is the outlier in the terms yeah, of story. And um, yet that was what everyone focused on, yeah. uh, which is unfortunate because now the interesting story that was there is now just not remembered that well because everyone just thinks of it as it's Silent Hill 2. Konami does not understand its own franchises at this point anymore either. So. <laughs> not for many years. Looking at you, Metal Gear Solid Collection. Um, I, but yeah, yeah, they I, remade I, uh, two and two and three, but they removed uh, the voice actor for. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, they they actually they redid the voice actor. It was a couple of years ago. I think it was for like, oh, it might have been for the PS3 and the Xbox One. James Sunderland was it? James Sunderland. My James Sunderland. Bit, yeah. Yeah. I was Thank going to say, Harry, I'm like, that's the first me. game. Harry's the yeah. fourth game. Um, yeah, it's... Because uh, the voice actor was very disappointed that they had re- actually redone the intro yeah, where is... he does the whole thing with his face, and um, it didn't sound as good. Yeah, it, that is that is a shame. Honestly, I really loved Silent Hill 3. I... I really wish the Silent Hill games more happened with them. I'm looking at you, PT. I remember you fondly. Yeah, I was, I was sitting there going, we've gotten this deep. We need to wrap up soon. And nobody has mentioned PT yet. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna look. I did so look. Good. And PlayStation 4s of the PT demo are still selling or are still being listed on eBay, at least. I don't yeah. know if they're selling. Well, there are ways around it now. So they're probably not worth nearly what they were for a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, used some of those because I um, my I hadn't played it, and we sold the P- one of the PS4s with it on, and then I realized I didn't have it. I had it on my wife's account, and so I had to use some of those methods to download it. Hundred percent worth it. Great, great, great teaser. 
Great game. I didn't I didn't have a PlayStation 4 then, so I never got to play it, but I did watch someone else playing it. And I guess, I, in a way, I could see the inspiration from other horror games. Like, I could see that the, mm. the stuff that I was talking about earlier with uh, Project Zero, where things would change, subtle things would change. Mm, and right. in the room, uh, the room where he would go in the apartment and it's the same apartment he's always lived in and things would very slightly be changed and you'd just yeah. be like, what is that? That's that thing where thing, yeah. everything just being not quite right is like a, a great way to creep up. Just the best. Um, yeah. And, and it's, yeah. it's sometimes because you're like, oh, is, th- is that mark on the wall just really, is, does it look like a face or is that just my imagination? Is it pareidolia? What's going on? I mean, that's, it- that is the best part of it. One of the best parts about horror anyway is like, the amount of like games don't have to be scary they just have to make you scared <laughs> like and there's so many myriad ways to do that like your imagination is almost going to be a hundred times worse than whatever you're going to see which is i guess uh, why yeah. sound design is so important because god yes, uh, if yes, the yes, more yes, you yes. show of your hand it's always it's the bark that is scary not the bite once you've like dealt with a bite it's never as bad again it's the fear of that first time of it happening yeah can I talk about Project Zero again? I'm sorry. Please. All day long. <laughs> I may have... Uh, it, it is one of my favourite series. I'm sorry. I also really yep. enjoyed Clock Tower. I just want to say oh, that they, they did the tension quite well. Yeah. yeah, I played the third one. Very disappointed that my disc somehow... I, I found it in Big W of all places. And oh, half the disc didn't work for some reason. I was ah. so upset. But yeah... The reason I was bringing up um, Project Zero is that it, it does really good sound design. There will be times where you'll walk into a room and all the sound will die out. Nothing's yep. going to happen. It, it just They just are using that as an opportunity for you to go, what the hell's going to happen? Why did all the music go? Or you'd be walking along and it will make a random noise. It, it's got certain noises that just will suddenly happen randomly because if it's at regular intervals – your body will recognize it as a pattern. is that we understand, we've been programmed to understand genre, so it means that you can throw false clues effectively. Because yep. we've been trained, mm-hmm. like, oh, we know this creeping piano, we know that something's going to happen at the end of it, but if you do that creeping piano and then nothing happens, that's going to leave you on edge for several minutes because you're kind of waiting for the jump yeah, scare that's supposed I, I, to be at the end. Um, and that's actually something that they did in a movie, The Others, where they would often use a crescendo and nothing would happen. Yep. And then something would happen a, a little while after. But they would use that anticipation to build the tension and there would be no payoff initially. And just as you felt like you were able to relax, something would happen. But yeah, it, it plays with that sort of stuff a lot. Um I'm just trying to think if there's any other horror games. Well, we probably that need to that um, use roll up. So what I might so well. do yep, is sorry. ask if there's any anything any game that has like managed to like creep you out that was just completely unexpected, either because it wasn't a horror game or you thought you had it licked and then it, like it found a clever trick. Hmm. This is gonna be tricky um, for Jason. You played all. You played it all, man. Yeah, I go in. I yeah, I've. Uh... Been there, done there, got uh, got the t-shirt. Um, don't starve together. I will say, huh? It is a, admittedly, it is a survival horror game, but you get that whenever it starts to get to nighttime in that game, you get that sense of dread. You need, like, if you are in the night uh, without a light, 
you're screwed. A thousand which ways you are screwed. Um, so you get that sense of dread of like, you know, it gives you a warning a couple of hours before it's nighttime and you go, hey, I got to book it back. And you get that tension of like, I have to get back to where I needed to be. Otherwise, it's going to be a bad I'm time. I'm just imagining everyone. the oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh yeah. shit, just all so the way basically along. Basically, for Renee, is Echo the Dolphin, all right? <laughs> Echo with um, Dolphin is terrifying in another way. <laughs> well, like I said, um, the tension in an amnesia was so bad it actually made me start to hyperventilate, so I actually had to stop playing. Although that is um, a marquee for being scary game. That's yeah. not a left field. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about... Um, uh, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here, Renee, maybe a Hail Mary, if yeah. you will. Um, there is a scene in Final Fantasy fourteen, A Realm Reborn, um, yeah. that is dreadfully horrifying, um, and it's all of the scenes with Edda. So, uh, outside uh, yes, Stasha, yes. Um, that one, that one got me. I don't find her horrifying. I just think she's really sad. So she what is happens is there's a... Sad. There's a... Um, there's actually a lot of that sort of stuff in Final Fantasy. So what happens is there's actually a side story happening during the original uh, A Realm Reborn questline, um, and you get snippets of this one character who she loses her fiancé and her team ends up blaming her because she's the healer. Um, and the thing is is that they originally thought they were stronger than they were, so they bit off more than they could chew, and it wasn't really her fault, but everyone else blamed her. Um, and then the next thing you know, you hear that um, apparently she's getting married to the dead fiance, and everyone's like, "Okay, That's how is that messy. happening?" You're missing one slight step. There is that um, yeah. after the very first dungeon in Sestasha, um, you can talk to them later. I can't remember exactly where it is. It's been like ten years, and. Mm. She did lose her fiance because she wasn't a, like, like, um, like Renee said, they bit off way too much that he can chew. But she is carrying his severed head around in a bag. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did forget head. that. <laughs> she, that was the only thing she managed to escape with was his yep. head. If, yep. She couldn't bring the rest of his body out of the dungeon. So in, in one of the hard dungeons, she's actually attempting to recreate his body. Yeah, yep. this is just disturbing and grim more than scary. Um, well, even better, he turns into a flying head monster, and you can get that as a mount. Yep. And fly around Aorzea on it. So that just sounds goofy probably... and fun at this point. Um, <laughs> but, but there is also one interesting thing that happens specifically with Edda, um, because she does come up as part of the Palace of the Dead questline as well, is that after you've cleared Palace of the Dead... In the main towns at night, you have an incredibly, incredibly slim chance for her to appear for a split second um, in the town and then disappear. Only for you as well, which is mm, just the best. I love it. Jason, still yeah, way into this, it's, Ken. It's very rare. Ken, do you have any examples? Well, I've talked about my subnautical moment. That's true. Mm. So I think that applies. To that just... is. Uh, yeah. yeah um, my case... Is this Ken trying to keep me and Jason under control? no well you know um i was actually gonna say like like when it comes to horror like games don't tend to be my favorite medium to experience horror i agree with that yeah um i think film i think tv um do it better only because 
the framing sometimes yeah, one of the one of the marquees of horror is framing right what's yep. on the screen what's what you can mm-hmm. see and what you can't see what's out of what out of the, your line of More sight more than one reason why those first resident evil games are a fixed perspective Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, exactly. Absolutely. Um, oh. Resident Evil did it, so did Silent Hill, and so did mm. uh, Fatal Frame. Yeah, oh. absolutely. And I remember, like, the first time, at least in a Resident Evil 2, you, the first time I encountered the liquor. Was it the liquor? Oh, yeah. A liquor beta? Hmm. Yeah. I can't remember. I think which it's terrifying. One. Oh, that is, that is next level. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that's pretty much it, really. Yeah. I, I've talked about my subnautica moment. Um, I know I'm going to talk about horror again because uh, you know it's my bread and my butter. But I will say that one of the reasons that um, horror games can be good but also very bad in the same way is because you have control over it. You're a lot more invested in the character. Like when you're just an innocent bystander in a movie, or a podcast, or a book, or manga, or whatever. It, it for me, it's not as scary. But once I'm in control, it's very awful uh, because i'm the one controlling all of the decisions um well that's it the i was just gonna say um until dawn is a really good bridge between the Mm. horror movie and the video game i didn't didn't talk about those games at all oh my god yeah no um yeah super also they're they're great for playing with people yeah, absolutely. Yeah, getting people to I make decisions. Yeah, too. my mom was like, can you play that? I want to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my wife does not cope with people dying, though, so playing it with it is a lot of yeah, fun, but also she too. will have her phone out making sure that I do not make a decision that is going to result. <laughs> but also that's a sign that the game is working, because... Yeah. yeah. If you're that invested yeah, in the character invested. you wanted them to live. For sure. Oh, if yeah, I remember right, I was like... I want this character to live, and I want this character to live, and I don't really care about the rest. They can That's, die for all I care. I know how I yeah, did those, it, yeah. Those small actually, ones are also actually very, very good. And they, I, they I actually haven't played Until Dawn. I've like, played all of the other Man ones. Man and Madan and the ones that came after that. The reviews yeah. seemed like a little bit all over the shop, but like I've found that gen- generally they're actually... I mean, they're shorter, and they actually they're kind of benefit games. from it. Like, there's something you can play over the course of like one day. just kind of draw the curtains... Yeah. I wasn't so fond of House of Ashes, but I liked what they did with the quarry. Uh, yeah, awesome games. I and I, I, I actually love those little that. anthology games. I think they're beautiful in their own way. Like I, I said, I think they bridged the gap between the whole thing of um, movie movies being a really good way to yeah. um, take horror and then also being in charge of decisions. So yeah. you get kind of the best of both worlds. And also, you can't yell at the characters if they make a dumb decision because you did that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like, because they're, like, so close to movies in their own right, it does fix that problem with framing, which I actually yeah. 100% agree with. Yeah, very limited chemical horror chemical games have a huge can problem with. You like, pan it around, but you cannot look around. Yeah. Yeah, because if you can see, like, just pan the camera around the corner and see exactly what's coming, it's, it, it takes away all that tension, but... In those games, it's fairly set camera angles most just, of the time. I just realised something else that we could have spoken about, but we don't stop have it, the time. Stop it, stop it, we're going to wrap uh, this up. No, just... No, 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 I was going to say uh, visual no- horror visual novels, which oh, again yeah. is kind of similar. Mm. But yeah, no time. Yeah, we, That'll we, have to wait we, for we, another we, We've actually run pretty long, so... Um. So yes, um, thank you, Jason, for like recognising where your passions are and like jumping on board. 
do you have it's any- a weird juxtaposition because the last podcast I was on was about food and food games, which I also <laughs> really love. You just put the food and the heart <laughs> together. Really I mean, those are, those are those. Yeah, right. Um, that's just my cooking. Do you, do you, horrific food. All right. Do you, do, do you have anything you wish to pimp before we? Um, uh, Slay the Princess is coming out, uh, or is out by the time this is launched. The review um, is the on, on the site. site. Yeah. Yeah. Or Twitter handle um, or so, Hell site handle Blue Sky. Uh, no, I don't use social media at all. Um, I technically exist on Twitter, but I don't think I've used it in about five or six ah, years. So you can man. find me there at Pazmar. Um, Doing literally nothing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You can follow me for the personal clout and the internet <laughs> smooches I will give you. He's, he's, right. he's too busy playing horror games to be on yeah. Twitter. Oh, yep. that's so true. Yep. All right, Renee, you got anything coming up soon? Uh, just all the PAX Indie shorts that I'm working on all still. All of the Indies. Well, not all of them. There's been some that haven't got back to me, but yeah, um, probably, hopefully by the end of the month, there should be essentially a digital version of the showcase on player2.net.au. There it is. There is a website. Hopefully. URL that I've got to say out. Um, Ken, where can we find you these days? Have you finally started using your Blue Sky account yet? Uh, I'm still sort of um, just squatting over there, so you can still find me at Pixel Hunt on Twitter. Or X. No, Twitter. Definitely Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Not doing this. That's that's giving us that's that's like giving me Hellside some affection. <laughs> uh, I'm just increasingly, increasingly I mean I'm at Pretend Beard on yeah, let's say Twitter. But also I have that on Blue Sky, which I've I've re- I've moved the Twitter app to my app drawer. Blue Sky has taken, like, the main front place on my phone at this point. Um, and also, yeah, I guess in my case, the Hot Wheels review is, like, still fairly fresh. That's up on the site. Um, remain conflicted about it. Also, didn't get a say during the topic, but yeah, my, my weird, um, choice of scary games was when I was 10 and the graphics did not configure correctly on Space Quest 1, the point-and-click version. Oh, yeah. Um... Comedy space game, you know, sort of thing you should be terrified about. <laughs> but you're in this. It, it, 